Beyond doubt. Devi asks. Oh Shiva, what is your reality? What is your wonder-filled universe? What constitutes seed? Who centers the universal wheel? What is life beyond form-pervading forms? How may we enter it fully? Above space and time? Names and descriptions? Let my doubts be cleared. To sit alone, in doubt is hell. To resolve doubt sitting alone is impossible, distractions would become essential. Let my doubts be cleared. Is the call. This is significant because if you are asking intellectual questions, you are asking for a definite answer so that your problem can be dissolved. But you are really asking, let my doubts be cleared. And if you knew this you would not be asking them for answers, you would be asking for a transformation of your mind, because a doubting mind will remain a doubting mind no matter what the answers that are given to it. A doubting mind will remain a doubting mind no matter what intellectual knowledge is provided to it, the answers to the questions are really irrelevant. If you are given one answer and you have a doubting mind, you will doubt the answer. If you get another answer, and you have a doubting mind you will doubt that answer also. If you have a doubting mind, then a doubting mind means you will put a question mark on everything. To anything and everything that is presented to you, including love. So answers are really useless to solving doubt. You may ask me why does the universe exist? And if I would tell you, then you are bound to ask why, or how did you know, or who created that which created the creator of the universe. You will doubt all answers. After everything a life of searching for answers you will come to see that you are not seeking answers, you were full of answers, you were seeking to be away from doubt. So the real problem is not how to answer the questions. The real problem is how to change the doubting mind, how to create a mind which is not doubting, or, which is trustful. So there are several reasons people ask questions. The first may be that they want a confirmation. In other words they already know the answer, they already have the answer, they just want it to be confirmed that their answer is right. Then the question is false, it is not question really at all. They may be just asking a question not because they are ready to each change, or adjust what they think, or transform who they are, but just as a curiosity. But, after all this pretense at questioning, and searching, the mind goes on questioning. So it is not satisfied and then there is more suffering, more learning. That is the very nature of the mind, to question, so it goes on questioning no matter how much it is fed. It doesn't matter what you are questioning, with anything given to the mind, it will create a question. It is a machine to grind out, invent, to create questions. So give it anything and it will cut it into pieces and create many more questions. One question answered, and the mind will create many questions from that answer. This has been the whole history of philosophy. There are many stories of philosophers who were as children very inquisitive. They set out on a path to answer the many questions of life, and then on their deathbed they will say, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. The doubting mind is the real problem not the questions. We are really searching for a way to clear our doubts. Answers will not fulfill my needs. My needs are to clear my doubts. But how can doubts be cleared? Is there any answer? Is the anything that will clear doubt? The mind is doubt, it is not that the mind doubts things, the mind itself is doubt. Unless the mind dissolves, lets go, releases, doubts cannot be cleared. So the mind becomes the gateway to where there is no doubt. So we teach not answers, nor dogma, nor solutions, we teach techniques. These techniques are complete and lead to experience and experience is the only mechanism that can eliminate doubt. You can hypothesize, study philosophy, attach yourself to dogma and religion, but doubt will always exist until there is an experience beyond all of these intellectual pursuits. When you awaken to your heart you find to your surprise that your heart is empty. You find to your surprise there is pure space. You are what is in your heart and if you look closely you won't find anything tangible. You find nothing, except feeling, an intent, a caring. Love is the glue that binds all things. 
one day we graduate and want a higher reason. Our natural quality of spirit, which can express itself in creativity and love, must be born into everyday life. Without it, in work and relationship, to self, other and the world, the struggle for happiness can be fruitless. Approaching spiritual life we must be cautious so as not to get caught in the path of imitation. It is not like putting on a new costume and becoming a Buddhist or something like that. You come to spirituality to calm, to awaken the fact that you are, naturally and wonderfully related to something greater, that although you act with seeming autonomy, nothing you think do or say can be separate from the greater whole. You come to spirituality to clean up your motive, to find a certain clarity with which to live your life other than simply consuming and collecting more trophies. Living from your center is about the bringing of nobility into the world. It reminds you of what already exists inside of you. Nobility is awakened, it is what exists before we go to work, make a success or find a relationship. It affects how we treat others and ourselves, and how we act in the world. It is really nothing in particular, opening the heart just means no tension, an inner smile and not reacting to anything that happens. All things are nothing more than condensations of the creative energy of life. Willpower, the essential key. Without willpower, nothing is possible. Without the will to change, to grow or develop nothing will happen. Without the will to tolerate pain, life cannot be lived. Without the will to forego distractions, no vision was ever fulfilled. Will is not power. But it is all the power that exists. What we call will power in us is, more accurately, life power. A power which increases by us recognizing its potentiality, which proves to be the greatest phenomena in life. If there is any secret behind the mystery of the world of phenomena that can be learned, it is through the power of will. Will power is a combination of physical and mental strength. Our hands, with all their perfect mechanics, cannot hold a glass of water if there is no will power to support it. If will power fails us, a person seemingly healthy, will not be able to even stand. It is not only the body which gives us strength to stand up, it is our will power. It is not the power of the physical that makes us move about in life, it is will power that thrusts the body forward into motion. Therefore, birds do not fly with the wings, they fly with will power. Fish do not swim with their body, they swim with their will power. And when man has the will to swim, he swims like fish. Humankind has been able to complete tremendous things by the strength of the power of will. Success and failure are its result. Will brings us to success, and when will fails, however intelligent the person, they fail. Therefore it is not the human power solely that moves us, it is a divine power found in the human body that makes unbelievable feats possible. The work of the mind is still greater, for no man can hold a thought in his mind for a moment if there is not the strength of his will to hold it. If a person cannot concentrate, cannot keep their thoughts still for a moment, it means that willpower fails them, as it is will which holds a thought. Willpower is love, in metaphysical terms love is willpower. If one says God is love, is means in reality God is will. For the love of God manifests after the creation, but the will of God causes the creation. So the most original aspect of love is will. When a person says, I love to do it it means, I will to do it, which is a stronger expression and means, I fully love to do it. In the Quran it written, we said, be, and it became. This is the key to the world of phenomena. To the progressive world of advanced thinkers, this is the key, which reveals how manifestation came into existence. Its existence came into being, in answer to the will which expressed itself in saying, be, and it became. This does not only belong to the origin of things, it belongs to the whole being of things, to the whole process of manifestation. As Rumi, has said birth, water, fire, air seem to us as things, as objects, but before God they are living beings, they stand as His obedient servants and obey divine will. 
a part of that will we received as our own divine heritage, and it is in being conscious of it that we multiply that will and make it greater. If we are not conscious of it, it becomes smaller. It is the optimistic attitude towards life, which develops the power of will, and the pessimistic attitude which reduces it and robs it of its great power. Therefore, if there is anything that hinders our progress in life, it is ourselves. It is proven a thousand times over that there is no one in the world who can be a worse enemy to us than ourselves, for at every failure we see ourselves standing in our own light. The earth holds the seed and the result is that a plant springs out and bears fruit. So it is with the heart, the heart holds the seed of the thought, and within this, a plant springing out and brings forth the fruit of fulfillment. But it is not only the power of creating the thought that makes it grow, it is the power of holding the thought which is of very great importance. Therefore, the thought of the heart and the act of holding the thought in the heart are both of great importance for the fulfillment of an individual's life's purpose. Often a person will say I try my best but I cannot get my mind to concentrate, I cannot make my mind still. It is true that they cannot concentrate, but it is not true that they try their best. Best does not appear here. Best really brings purpose to fulfillment. The mind can be compared to a wild horse. Many have brought a wild horse to the yoke and made it work. It is such a strange experience to be controlled and tamed, that the horse will kick and jump and run and try to destroy the yoke. So it is understandable for the mind to kick and jump when you yoke it to one thought and try to hold it for a while, the mind becomes restless because it is not accustomed to discipline. It has been said that the mind will hold by itself a thought of disappointment, of pain, of grief, of sorrow or failure. The mind will hold it so tightly that you cannot take the thought from its grip, the mind holds it of its own accord. But when the mind is requested to hold a particular thought, then it will not hold it, responding instead by saying I am free and I will not be controlled. When the mind is disciplined by concentration, by the power of will, then the mind becomes yoked to your work. It becomes your servant rather than your master. Once the mind has become your servant, what more can you wish? Then your world is your own, you are the king or queen of your kingdom. But some people will argue, why not let the mind be free, as we are free? But this is like saying, let the horse be free and the rider be free. The horse will go one way and the rider will go the other. Who will win? They cannot go in separate directions or there is madness. But how, under these circumstances can they go together? Some people will say, let me be free, and the will also be free. But without discipline, we are nothing. Self-discipline, however difficult and tyrannical to ourselves it may seem in the beginning, is that which makes the master of the self. Self-mastery is a combination of discipline and applied will. It is not in vain that the great sages lead aesthetic lives, with great purpose. It is not something to imitate, but it is something to understand. It was self-discipline, it was the development of willpower. You lack nothing if you have will. The best way to cultivate willpower is by first systematically putting the body into a certain discipline. It must sit in the posture that is prescribed to it. It must stand in a place where it is asked to stand. The body must not become restless, or fatigued by what is asked of it. You'll see this in yoga. The body must answer to the demands of the person to whom it belongs. The moment we begin to discipline the body we begin to see how disobedient the body has always been. Then we find out that this body, which I have called mine, myself, and for whose comfort I have done everything possible, given rest, nourishment, even closed my eyes to the unpleasant things of life, remains faithless and disobedient. So the body is trained with physical exercises by the mind. The discipline of the mind is done by concentration. It can only take place after the body has become disciplined. When you wish the mind to think about one particular thought, while the mind is thinking another thought, then the mind becomes very restless. It does not want to stand in one spot, because it has always been moving about without discipline. As soon as you discipline it, it becomes like a wild horse. 
Very often people tell me that during the day their most difficult moment is the moment that they want to concentrate. At this time the mind will start to jump, at other times it moves. This is because the mind is an entity. It becomes restless. It feels like a wild horse would feel in the taming process. At the same time this mind is meant to be an obedient servant. This body is meant to become your tool with which to experience life. If mind and body are not in order, if they do not act as you wish them to, then you cannot hope for real comfort or for real happiness in this world. There is a difference between concentration and silence. Concentration is holding a certain thought before you. Silence is relaxing mind and body, it is repose, and healing. Further, concentration is the beginning of meditation, meditation is the end of concentration, it is an advanced form of concentration. The subtle working of the mind is called meditation. It is more profound concentration, but once concentration is accomplished fully, it becomes easy for a person to meditate. It is therefore by putting the human will in harmony vision and dreams that the world benefits and life mastery is accomplished. Willpower is the key to mental stillness. Give me a few hours by myself, let me alone, shut out all interruptions, and I can bring myself down to my work. I take my pen in hand. I write a few thoughts. I see the future. And realize my responsibility. The more I think of the duty placed on me, the graver since my responsibility. Every idea has weight. I can see the effect of days ahead. Dead stillness requires perfect calmness of the mind and emotions. Create perfect calmness of body and mind while charged with tremendous energy, the power to think great thoughts and not let them run wild with the emotions, the power to hold great determination and not lose any of its force in wasted action, is achieved through stillness. Can you imagine a perfect machine that has been built for the execution of a most delicate yet most useful purpose, a machine that does what it was made for, and nothing else, a machine that has no losses in motion. Every detail of its work has a purpose behind it. If it were committed to perform other details some of its power and much of its usefulness would be wasted. The body is such a machine and properly tended this machine will perform incredibly. When the mind is excited the body as its agent loses control of itself to some extent. Therefore the mind must always be calm. A calm mind is a successful mind, if the calmness is one of intent and focus not exhaustion. The muscles of your body, by constant involuntary motions, may waste the vitality without involving the action of the mind. The nerves of the body, by constant twitching, may waste the vitality without involving the action of the mind. Dead stillness will overcome all such loss and lead to the accumulation of life force. The excitement of the body may or may not involve the action of the muscles all the nerves. However it generally does affect them seriously. It is a test of power to be able to separate the feelings from truth. It is the best test of power to be able to separate the emotions from the mind, then from the face and general body. The excitement of the emotions is almost certain to affect the mind and therefore energy. The practice of dead stillness will accomplish such results through strong magnetic self-control. Mental and emotional excitement may be managed by controlling the muscles and nerves. But it requires the highest degree of this power to prevent the voice from betraying the emotions. The greatest leaders of our time have been renowned for their solidarity and compassion in circumstances of emotion. Napoleon never allowed his nearest friend or closest counselor to know what was passing in his mind. Or what effect any news, good or bad really produced on him. He retained a capacity of steadiness that told nothing. He was a person of dead stillness. If you can't manage your emotions you can't manage your life. Make everything count. Every person whose existence is worth anything to themselves or the world, must at times be alone with themselves. It is in this unstimulated silence with the gift of thankfulness to your Creator that you will find the voice of certainty and guidance. Your Guru, your wisdom, your Christ, your vision is within you. Your heart lies waiting to be opened. This is the magic of silence.